Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Today I've got with me Graham Fletcher Cook. Hello, Graham. Hello, Stuart. It's lovely to be here. It is, it is. And uh, the listener won't appreciate that we've just had about five minutes preamble chatting. So that false hello is my fault. Um, so what film are we going to talk about today, Graham? We're talking about Blood and Carpet. And your role on that film was? I'm the kind of instigator, if you like. I wrote it and I directed it and uh, operated the camera, basically. So kind of man of many hats. So that means I can ask you anything about this movie, doesn't it, really? Yeah, I suppose so. I should know all about it. I just kind of... <laughs> yeah, people, people, ask me, people ask me stuff or they watch it and they interpret things and I go, yes, I intended that from the beginning and, I, and it's all news to me, so... Um, yeah. Well, go on. Just for the listener, and obviously I'm, I'm aware of your want to avoid spoilers, so you're in the best position here. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis of what this film's about? Okay. It's 1967 in London, and Ruby and Lyle have a problem. That's a dead body in the bathtub. And the film opens with them scrubbing the blood stain in their sitting room and trying to decide what they're going to do with the body and how they can get away with getting rid of it without getting discovered and and stopping anybody who comes around the house from from uh, finding out what's going on. That's kind of, kind of an age-old premise, if you like, but that's... that's. Uh, I don't really want to say any, anything any further, really, because... Yeah, well, no, that that's fine. I mean, the film is about... The film is the journey of what happens when you try and get rid of a dead body and when you've got bloodstained carpets on your car... Bloodstains on your carpet. Um, so you've got... You've now yeah. you've got an official release date, haven't you? And, and there's a ways people can see the movie. Do you want to tell us what they are? Yeah, we're, we're, we've got some screenings going on at um, the Art House in Crouch End, and we've got some other uh, screenings in um, in uh, Hastings at the Electric Palace, and we've got a, uh, 
VOD, it's going on on the 16th of Feb, and then the Blu-rays and DVD stuff will kind of follow after that. So if you go onto www.bloodandcarpet.com, you'll find a link there, and it'll tell you how to see it and, and what it's all about, and you, you know, you'll get further information there. So, Do you want to give us the date? So we've got, what, the 12th of February and the 16th yeah, of so Feb at, at Crouch End? 16th of, 16th of Feb is really when it's all happening. Uh, the, okay. the screening in the... In Hastings is in May, so that's a little further down the line. So okay, and that's tw- is, that, is that still is that still the twenty fifth of May? Yeah, I believe so. Yes. Okay, right then. Let's talk about the film. Let's start at the beginning. Seems like you wrote the thing. What what inspired this story for you? Where did where did where was it, what was its genesis? Okay, uh, what happens is I've been doing to, like drama workshops, working you know, getting together with friends who are, who are actors and we kind of get together and we jam if you like we've been been doing it for some 20 years now and you know we've been uh, we take that a little further we go and go into theaters and we we've kind of done quite a lot of um uh, theatrical uh, plays yeah um and and kind of what it is it's uh, you know we kind of we get scenarios and then we kind of come up with ideas and uh, one of the things that um the actress who's in it, Annie Birkin, playing Ruby, uh, yeah. one one week in an improvisation, which was uh, her scrubbing the carpet with 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 her boyfriend, and they didn't really talk about what was going on at all. There was no exposition. They were kind of talking about what what biscuits they were going to drink with their tea, and while all all the time this kind of you know uh, um, kind of atmospheric thing was happening, which they they were trying to get rid of a body. Um, yeah. And we kind of all came out of that conversation and went, that would make a good, great opening to a film, wouldn't it? And then um, it was like, yeah, Graham, you go and write the scripts and we'll do it in a month. And that's kind of what happened, basically. So it kind of springboarded from the from the workshops we do, Timber Theatre Company. Yeah? Okay. And now, are you, are you you as a writer, what's sort of your habit? Are you, a, are you a write every day kind of person? Are you burn the midnight oil, man? Up, in the, up with a lark? Uh, you know, there's no, there's, it's never the same. Every time I sit, sometimes I sit down in front of the processor and I can't think of a thing, and and other times it it just it just kind of it just flows. So I don't know. There's no real there's no real answer to that for me. Um, what but what 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 what's your this, um, what's your solution to writer's block or do you not? Is that not something you suffer from? Well, no, I, I did. I hit the wall a few times because what what happened is um, with this one we. I don't know if it's it, it, like we kind of went ahead in a kind of foolish way of we started a, a, a Kickstarter campaign okay. and we put it for sort of 30 days away. But all we had was an opening for a film and we yeah. kind of put the actors in costumes and took some photos and put it on Kickstarter. And then people started giving us money. So it was wow. like, right, we've got to deliver. A movie. We've got to deliver the movie now. So I and and. Um, it's it's very much a B movie. It's like a homage to the kind of fifties, sixties B movies, and I always figured that they were written quickly without any interference from any levels of producers or people demanding rewrites. So I figured these films are kind of written in in two weeks. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, and uh, just just for, just great. Let me stop you there. Just for the teenagers out yes. there, what what do you mean by B movies? The have you got any examples of these B movies that people could reference well, at a later time? What used to happen is before the days of TV were ubiquitous, that people used to go to the cinema and they'd go there for a whole evening. And 
uh, people didn't really have TVs at home um, yeah. so before the mid to late 50s. And so you'd go to the cinema and you'd watch a cartoon and you'd watch a newsreel and you'd watch um, a, a guy had come up out of the, the, the middle of the stage playing a Wurlitzer organ yeah. and have a bit of a sing-along. And then, then you'd watch a B-movie, uh, which was the, like a precursor to the, to the main feature. But the B-movie was just a film that was made to fill space, really. It was just... They were they were probably done done on a on a set that was was vacant for a couple of days and they they were really where technicians and writers and and actors kind of could learn their trade I suppose without no, no, getting totally, yeah, no, totally uh, yeah and they were kind of on their own and and not really interfered with because no one really cared about them because they were just there to fill a, sl- a slot and and get chucked away the next week but you know occasionally. Something happened, and 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 B movies kind of became quite became a hit and became mainstream, and then you had the Blob, and suddenly Steve McQueen was a big movie star, and <laughs> you know, but um, so yeah, with the writing, I wanted to really get keep keep it keep it in that vein. So I figured it was it was had to be done quickly, and it had to you know, and didn't I only rewrote it once really? Um, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with the with the block was, um, uh, I knew I knew what the story was. I knew where each scene had to go from yeah. the beginning to the end, if you like. And then every time I, <clears throat> I hit a wall, and the walls I was hitting was with was with the dialogue. And I thought, I know what's got to happen in the scene. I'm going to write the whole scene, and then we can always go back and fix the dialogue later. Yeah. And then I just forced myself to carry on. So I got to the end of that one. Okay, now next night I'm going to do the do the following sequence. And then we kind of gave it to the actors, and we and because I always thought, look, we're actors, we can fix dialogue. That's what we that's what we're good at. And um, and and they read it, and they went, no, this is great. We don't want to change anything. I was like, okay, right. So I kind of did a minimal rewrite, and then that was it. We were we were off shooting it. So. So what would what was um. In, in given given you you sort of had the idea of how it was structured, what 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 was uh, the hardest challenge to resolve in terms of the storytelling while you were coming up with that that basic structure that you knew you had? What was what was the challenge for you as a writer? The challenge was to keep it interesting, but keep it all pretty much in one one location. You know, ah, because okay. uh, yeah, we always knew that we were going to do it with no money, so that's you put two or three people in a room and get them to talk to each other, and and you know, obviously. It's still got to be cinematic. Um, otherwise, what's the point? You will listen to it on a, on the radio, or or, or or it should be on the TV. So that that was that was a, a challenge. But um, you know, some of the best films I've uh, some of the films that I I enjoy any any rate have been kind of maybe slightly theatrical in that way. Like you know, films like The Servant, the, the Bogart film, and it's which is like like two people sitting in a room, you know, and um, and, and because we come from the theatre as well, so maybe we were—I had a bit more experience in working on that kind of, on that kind of level. So, it, you know, it is, a, it is a challenge though because you, you know, you want to you want to give an audience some kind of spectacle, I suppose. No, no, I mean, look, one of the best films of last year, I thought, was um, was Lock with Tom Hardy, and that took place in in the front seat of a car. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. 
what you've told us so far about the actors' workshop and stuff, is that how the cast was pulled together then? There was no kind of auditioning and stuff. You really had your cast identified going in as you developed this movie. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. Everybody in it, uh, it, it with one exception, was from the workshop, yeah. And, and all those people, Julian Firth and Andrew Tin and uh, Frank Boyce, all those actors, they've all come through the drama workshop that I've done. You know, it's... Um, uh, there was the, the the only character we had to cast was a guy who was the guy who played Lyle because he was a very specific uh, physical type and we just didn't have anyone that fitted that so uh, we okay. went on to spot went on to spotlight and um, eventually after seeing uh, seeing a few people we we came across Billy Wright so that was that was uh, that was the way that that happened yeah if people are working at a low budget I suppose there are there's there's a lot of websites that you can go and you can network and you can find actors but um you know the quality of your film in a lot of ways especially when you've got no money it's going to be down to the performances and so you know that's the most crucial thing is the casting you've got if you get that right you know you don't really your job's made easy you know so <laughs> yeah well no i mean it's it's it's, a, it's certainly a truism um because a lot of those, a lot of a lot of awkwardness on screen is going to take you out of the movie, isn't it? And a lot of bad delivered lines are going to take you out of the film again. You know, so the better that's of done, the, the budget will be ignored. I think. Yeah, I think if you're telling a story and you, people are engrossed, they they'll forgive a bit of under rehearsed acting and a, a bit of camera shake because they they they're, they're involved in the story. And you know, most people who are watching a film, they don't. They don't know what a budget is, let alone whether it's a big budget or a small budget. They can, you, you know, to, to your general punter, your guy who's who's bought a, D, a DVD in, in the checkout at Asda, he doesn't know budget schmudget. What does that mean? You no, know? no, I must admit, as I was saying to you off off off, uh, off microphone before, off, off podcast, sorry, I, I've just watched Inherent Vice and there was, a, there was a scene in that that was literally was just whacking Phoenix walking through an office and I was counting how many people in the shot, never mind how many people were shooting the bloody thing, there was probably about, and this is just like walking through an office, so people who've got no speaking parts but obviously need to be in the shot for it to work. And yeah. I was thinking, it's like nearly 30 people were just for that, for like what was a five-second walk through an office. <laughs> right. Yeah, all those, supporting act, all those supporting actors you're talking about in that scene, they've all got to be... On it, that's the kind of thing I look at in a film. If no, totally, totally, yeah. If they're not concentrating, it give, takes you takes you out of it, doesn't it? So. it indeed, it does. Indeed, it does. Um, and <clears throat> so, from your point of view, in in addition to that, the challenge of working in a, with limited locations, um, what aspects of the shoot seemed sort of insurmountable when you were going into it, and and what breaks did you get, as it were, to to to, to overcome it? insurmountable i'll tell you what because we made a decision that we, we thought we're going to make a film it's going to be two three people in a room i know let's let if, if we um, put them in vintage costume we can make it as a, a 60s movie that's going to kind of give it a whole different vibe um and that that's that really kind of excited us and invigorated us but th what became uh, an issue is as soon as you go out of the room, you know, you can't, you we couldn't just go, let's just take the camera and shoot a scene in the street because we needed to find a street with, without double glazing and without uh, street signs, uh, without even zigzags on the road, you know, because, um, 
so that some some of those kind of things became quite quite an issue so you know we spent a lot of time just going around looking for somewhere where there was still old railings and a and some sash windows and a, and a wooden front door and and uh, uh, yeah that was that was tricky so uh, but you know not insurmountable. In, no, no, no. But uh, but it's it's a real challenge, and it's it, there's a lesson there. I mean, as a producer I've worked with, he 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 worked not as a producer, but he worked on Billy Elliot, and his job every day was to go around and ask and pay people to take down their satellite dishes because obviously by the the early eighties when Billy Elliot was set, there was yeah. no satellite dishes up on terraced houses. So of course, that was his job every day yeah. to take down, you know, to make sure that. We spent, we spent a lot of time covering up central heating, heating radiators <laughs> because our location was centrally heated. So it was like, how can we, what can we put on in front of this one? Moving sofas and and you just go in the street and there's phone boxes and as soon as you you know and the other side of it though is it made us really concentrate. We couldn't really be totally spontaneous. It made us really have to focus on every little minute detail, which I think kind of it kind of pushed the Pushed it, pushed it up a level, I think. So I was glad I made that decision, although um, uh, the people doing the post production weren't. <laughs> right then, when you when you first contacted the website, you you told us the film was shot over ten days, and yeah. it, it was a fairly low budget. I, I, do you mind the budget being said? What what you said? In the no, email? no. The, yeah, the budget was three thousand pounds. So. Okay, so with such a low budget. What do you, what do you what what do you think proved to be the biggest? I mean, obviously making the film's a big achievement. Let's let's just say that's a given. But from from making from from when from going into the film and coming out of it, what do you think was your uh, what do you think was what do you feel was your biggest achievement as the as the writer and director of the movie? Uh, I think, and, and it's probably a mistake a lot of people make. When you've got a limited amount of funds, you think. Um, You've got you want to put it all on the screen, and that's totally understandable. So, you know, we we had to spend on costumes and uh, and props and stuff like that, and then we got to post production, and we had obviously nothing left except empty pockets and and a bit of a debt run up. So, um, we and the 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 wonderful thing is, I I kind of contacted quite a lot of sound editors and some guys that I'd worked with on a on a on a major movie a couple of years ago, yeah, um, Pin Drop, um, uh, they they mix they mix a lot of like high profile movies. Um, they, they live they live near to me, and I phoned them up and I said, "How are you?" And they said, "Oh, we're overworked and underpaid." And I was like, "Oh dear, I'm just gonna I'll kind of add some more I add some more to that." Look, I've made a film, we got no money, and they were like, "Oh, go and show it to us." and well decided. So I went round there and I screamed it to them, and they said, "Yeah, we'll do it." So you know, and that that kind of made me think. Wait, I've got, they kind of legitimised it in a, in a certain respect as well. And 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 once once other people who who I know in the in in the film business heard that they were involved, it all, everybody kind of started to take a little more interest and get intrigued by it because if it was rubbish, uh, they would have politely turned me down. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's really. I can't emphasise how important a soundtrack is on a movie. It's um, you can get away with a lot more. You can get a lot away with bad camera shots, but you 
you can't get away with bad audio. People know, they just subliminally know there's something wrong about it or there's something cheap or something that could have been done better and hasn't been concentrated on. And, and it's something that people leave to the, leave to the last moment. And um, yeah, the soundtrack's a major, major thing. So. Now, when you say soundtrack, what you mean there is you mean all the, you don't just mean the music, do you? You mean the dialogue, the, the incidental noises and things like that, don't you? That, 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 that has that. Yeah. Because I mean, I, mean, I think so. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. All the foley you wouldn't believe is like, well, you look look at these guys mixing. They got twenty layers of sound here. They've got one for footsteps, one for atmos, one for a kettle, uh, one for the water being boiled. You know, and very very creative as well because we had to create a, an <clears throat> uncomfortable, moody atmosphere, which they they managed to do just because that. I think this with this with this uh, project. It was something they were doing just because they they wanted to, and so they kind of started to have a bit of fun with it. So we got this, uh, you know, one of my favourite films is Eraserhead, and and luck and and uh, Richard, I knew know the sound the the uh, sound editor. Uh, we had that in common, and he kind of, he got totally what I was doing, and he kind of fed up these kind of subliminal noises that are kind of just uh, you know. I really notice it now. You can you can hear a light bulb buzzing, and you know, and if someone's smoking, you can hear the hear the hear the the, the smoke kind of burning. And no, know, no, I was, was going to say that was the, those kind of details are really neat. When 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 and and taking us draw on a cigarette, and you hear the crackle of the tobacco, you're exactly, like, right, yeah. right, I'm right in it. I'm right in this film, aren't I? I'm not. Yes. I'm not, I'm not step back from it. You're, and obviously, and like, I mean, it's a very different film than Eraser, but in some senses, the 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 idea of the camera being right in there as well sometimes really, you know, really was uncomfortable with some of those sounds because we're not we're not necessarily yeah. used to hearing everything. I suppose not, and you can't really get away from it. It's just like it makes your skin crawl when someone's eating too noisily. Yeah, exactly. just, just put or, or slurping from a from a salsa. So, so can I get a sense of the time scale? So you said you said so you told us it was like shot over ten days. So yeah. So if we go if we go back to that point when you had the eureka moment of that scene could work for the opening of a movie to we've got the movie in the can and it's edited and we're going to start sending it I'd to people. Say, what, what was the yeah, time period? Eighteen months, I guess. Wow, that's a, that's a brilliant turnaround. Yeah, I mean, I I wanted it to, like I was saying, I wanted it to be a B movie, and so I figured if we did it all quickly and and you know didn't really hang around too much, then it would capture that immediacy of how they how how they used to make those films. But you know, having said that, we we did hit a, we we did get blocked quite a few times because we had an editor, but then he'd get some work and he'd he'd uh, go away to. Chris and he'd go away and edit this uh, working for the BBC doing doing snooker for 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 six weeks he'd be in Sheffield and mm. and that and bring everything to a halt yet again and then you know obviously the guys at the pin drop that to go and do sound sound mixes elsewhere and the studio gets booked up and so it could it could have happened a lot quicker to be to be quite honest but um well you yeah, know it's, it's not, 18 months isn't too shabby if you don't already subscribe to BritFlix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at BritFlix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you.
Stylistically, there's something important to point out to the listener, is the film is largely black and white, isn't it? The film is, uh, yeah, largely black and white, almost entirely black and white. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, I should say it's entirely black and white with little bits of colour for uh, that use for yes, effect. Uh, we, that was a choice we made for aesthetic reasons. Yeah, I mean, obviously, thinking of what you're saying now about about the B movie, you've lit, you, you've done period, and you've also made it look, you know, precisely as it would have done at the time, I guess, as well. What was the? Uh, I mean, and some. What looking at? I, I noticed it more in the credits when it finished. Sorry, Stuart. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, to, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, go on. There's a, re- there's a good reason for that as well. I mean, with go the on. with the limitations of what we were doing, um, mm. it just it just made filming everything a lot easier because we suddenly we didn't have to worry about uh, grading and balancing between scenes. We could just shoot stuff and it was all going to be black and white. And, so the, and also the camera could, would, uh, could uh, write to the cards a lot faster because there was so much less information to process. So it, I suppose it just it did make it a lot easier. We didn't have to worry about whether, things were, uh, whether the colour was looking false or anything like that because... There's no, there was no colour in it, so yeah. That's interesting. So I've not really appreciate that. So you're saying, so obviously, yeah, because it's black and white. There's less digital information for it to, for it to process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the camera that we use is a, is a Panasonic GH2, and then um, okay. we, it's just like a small. Uh, it's a, it's not a DSLR because there's no mirror in it. It's a mirrorless DSLR, four three camera, but. And we went online and we um, hacked the hard w- hardware, yeah, and uh, which was a bit scary, and rebooted it. and And you can you kind of up up the uh, quality of the camera. And if you get really fast cards, then then you can get a, a, a really beautiful picture. Like you know, looking at our film in the cinema, it, it it's really crystal sharp and it looks lovely. But you know, yeah, that is the. Uh, Obviously, there's so much there's so much less information to process on when you're shooting black and white that that may that was a real advantage and and also we could set up quickly and and not have to you know worry about color colors changing and balancing street lamps and and stuff like that because there, there's no color information there so yeah. Um, it's interesting you did a period piece because obviously with 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 a, with a kind of no budget approach you 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 gave yourself one hell of a challenge there. By adding in the idea of doing it in period. So what, yeah. what? What was? What was your? I know you talked about before about what you had to avoid and stuff and, and how you got round it. But what was your? What was your um, sort of the hardest detail that you had to capture about the period that you managed to get in the movie? Ah. Uh, well, uh, like I said before, it was. It's just the fact of when you do a bit of research, if you know, and you and you go on to location. As soon as you step out of out of uh, the set, mm. just got you've just got to watch every single little detail. Um, so I kind of kind of think I've been over that. It was just get, getting out, going out in the street, and and you know, once once you look back at the stuff that you shot, there's, if there's a phone box in shot or a satellite dish or anything like that, you know, you've you've got to you've got to really think about how you can get it painted out at the very at the very least, you know. Okay, so, okay. And where where was the where was the is there a mod obsession within the group of you or even with yourself? 
Um, I suppose, uh, well, I, I wouldn't say obs obsession, but it, it's a kind of style that looks great on camera. So, you know, and I used to like, love going to see the specials and Madness and those selector and those kind of groups when I was a kid. So it kind of, kind of comes back round, yeah. So. Well, no, the reason I, the reason I ask is because this, this, specifically that you've got like the landlord of the pub who's clearly, uh, you know, an Ace Cafe rocker. And he's bemoaning yeah. the rise of the mod, isn't he? I just thought that was an interesting <laughs> bit of detail within the story. And that's funny because the guy who plays that, Huggy Lever, yeah. he was a he was a, a singer in a mod band called the Teen Beats, which were, they were quite well known, sort of like nineteen eighty. So I kind of thought <laughs> it was ironic to put him in in that kind of role. Now he now he builds motorcycles and and stuff and. So I thought, I, I, I've got to get him to say that. Who'd want to be a mod? <laughs> when he was a mod, he was quite quite a face back in the day. So yeah, Brilliant, brilliant. I'm glad you noticed that. Oh, yes. No, I like, I like, my, uh, I like my tribal stuff. I love, I love all those kind of things. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, you've given, you've given lots of insights here, but is there any, any particular sort of, any, any other tips that you feel that you could pass on to the sort of low-budget filmmaker from your experience of making Blood and Carpet? Yeah, I would say just ask people. You really, you will be amazed because uh, six times out of ten, people will say yes. And that's whether it's costumes or something to do with set or trying to get a location. You've just got to just keep asking people and and stuff happens. And, and once you once you get it rolling and once you start move, you know, the ball rolling and people will come on board and people want to help you. And so... You, the most difficult thing is is keeping the momentum going. You've just got to you've just got to kind of start each day and think, right? How can I advance things? And then people will, people will join you and people will work with you. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, what we like to ask all guests on the podcast is to recommend as a British film. So, what what film do you think has either been in recent years grossly underrated and overlooked, or maybe an older film, older British film that you think deserves to be resurrected and Getting a given a bit more kudos. Anything that springs to mind? Um, what springs to mind is because when, when I was writing this, I did kind of look at quite a lot of low budget films that have been made, and one that really sprang out to me, and and kind of I watched a couple of nights ago. Yeah. Was the Devil's the Devil's Business. Do you know that movie? I do know the Devil's Business. Yes. I and it really was two people in a room talking to each other and. Uh, you know, it kind of came out around the same time as Kill List, and it was it was both kind of similar subject matter. But I kind of found Devil's Business a much more engrossing film. I thought it was uh, it was really well written, and the guy who played the older hitman, Billy Clark, I think he was. Uh, there's there's a scene in the movie where he he tells a story, and, and when you when you're writing a script, they, the advice they give you is don't tell it, show it, and mm. You know, this is this guy is totally the opposite. I think he must have. It's like a fifteen-minute monologue from this guy where he just tells a story about a, a girl who was a dancer in a club that he got obsessed with, and that, that kind of really, really hooked me. And that made that kind of made me think. Well, look, they've just done that. It's you know, and it's obviously they had a lot of limitations within within the making of that film, but um, especially in terms of where Blood and Carpet is, that was a big influence on me because you know it's. It was like a play, but I, I was I was engrossed. I would w rather watch a movie like that any day of the week than something that has a lot of effects and 
and editing that will give me a headache and you know so well we've had we, well that's, that's a brilliant recommendation and you know you're the second guest in recent weeks to recommend a film by a producer who we've had on the podcast called Jen Handorf uh, another one of the oh, films is The Borderlands right. and obviously Devil's Business preceded that one okay. Right. So that's really it's really encouraging to get films like that given the thumbs up from other filmmakers. So uh, and for us to be able yes, to uh, keep promoting it on 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 Britflix. Yeah, that was a big influence that one. Brilliant. Now let's uh, and to end on then, let's remind everybody the official release date is uh, the sixteenth of Feb. Where if people go to www.bloodandcarpet.com, there's information. Right, yeah. There's information yeah, to get the vod. Is that right? You can get uh, the uh, Vimeo on demand thing is on there as well. Yeah, Brilliant. And, and on the sixteenth of Feb, there is a there is a premiere at the Art House Cinema Crouch End. We're uh, at the Art House on the twelfth and the sixteenth. Yeah. Yeah. But and I then think they've, they've all sold out, I believe. Well done, well done to you. So if there's any Thank ticket, ta- if there's any ticket tapping going on, then you might get a spare. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, and then, so far in your diary, there's the for those people living out in Hastings, there's the 25th of May at the Electric Palace Cinema at the moment. So, uh, but I'm guessing if anybody well. wants to keep up with what's going on and to see if any other screenings come in the diary, then I guess bloodandcarpet.com will be where they'll find that, won't it? That's right. Yeah, any any screenings that come in in the meantime, we'll we'll be adding them on there, and so you can keep up to date if you can. Any tw- any tw- any Twitter addresses we can tell people about for following the movie or anything like that? Yeah, but is it a hashtag or a at blood and at, carpet and your at, Yes, it's an at, is it? It is. Yes, it's an at. Yeah, put an at blood and carpet, and you'll find us. And sort of anything that's happening, any news, you'll get it on there. Brilliant. Well, look, Graham. Thank you very much for uh, for coming on the podcast. It's been very short notice, so very much appreciated from me. That's right. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. 
From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover